What we call the beginning is often the end, and to make an end is to make a beginning. The end is where we start from. We shall not cease from exploration, and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started, and know the place for the first time. The words of T.S. Eliot in Little Gidding. Welcome to the Endings for Beginnings podcast. The podcast to help leaders begin planning for a better ending. This is really useful. Give us something practical, which is where the four pillars come in. Yes, and that's one of the things that is really important to us, is not just to say, hey, here's this stuff, but to really give people a way in. There are so many things that leaders need to be paying attention to. It's exhausting. I mean, so many people we're working with at the moment are absolutely exhausted. When you don't do this, it leaves a scar. For individuals and organisationally, it leaves a mark. In the olden days of everybody gets a gold watch at 25 years service. And it's not about platitudes. For us, when we see this done well, it's compassionate and it restores dignity, whatever the ending has been. What have you got to lose? What truly do you lose? Our intention is to start a conversation. Hi, I'm Lizzie Bentley-Bowers. And I'm Alison Lucas. Alison is my great friend and a brilliant executive coach and facilitator and the owner of the Randolph Partnership, from which she works across all three sectors. And we first got properly talking on a course where we were both studying about seven years ago. And ever since, she's been someone I value incredibly highly for the conversations we have about our work with leaders and a shared desire to continually learn and develop in our field. Every conversation I have with her is inspiring, enriching, it's a joy, and I hugely admire the depth and breadth of work she does with her clients and the fact that they keep smiling too while they do it. Although I was thinking about our thousands of conversations and it's kind of making me smile that as we record this one, we're talking about endings. But when I thought back to when we first met, it would be fair to say I think you were more of a beginnings kind of gal, would you say? Oh, you, and you started it, Lizzie. And that's one of the things that... I love about working with Lizzie so much is she makes me laugh. Lizzie writes in prose. She did an English degree and writes beautifully. And I write in very spiky bullet points because I did an economics degree. And somehow it works in the middle. So Lizzie Bentley-Bowers is the owner of the Causeway Coaching and is, quite frankly, one of the best coaches that I know who really supports and challenges our clients to negotiate incredibly complex leadership journeys they embark on. Our work is always rich and generative. What we want to offer you as leaders on this podcast is a way to start exploring the perhaps not very appealing subject of endings for yourself and for your organisations. Endings are everywhere in organisations, from the most tragic ones in the loss of a colleague, through to the more everyday, perhaps often overlooked in the hurry of getting on to the next thing kinds of endings, such as the completion of a project or a pitch, whether it was successful or not. There's the restructuring of teams. There's colleagues leaving through redundancy or perhaps leaving for promotion. There are mergers, acquisitions. We're aiming to start conversations about all these endings and more so that you can understand as leaders more about how you can benefit from the energy and the opportunity released by paying better attention to endings. Because people tend in our experience not to do it, Alison, do they? This isn't stuff they tend to look at. No. And in our work, we started thinking about why do organisations not attend to endings? And I think the first place we went to is, well, as human beings, we often don't attend to endings. We don't look at that existential reality of everything and everyone has a finite life. That's a really uncomfortable truth for many of us. In organisations, we are so good at beginnings. Consider the amount of planning, money and energy that goes into launching a new product a roadshow to signal new company values, onboarding a new recruit. So we were asking why at the other end of the process are we not paying attention to it? And some of the reasons that we came up with was pace, organisational pace, complexity, often process, which is meant to serve the organisation, can stifle that human conversation and contact. And leaders are not taught this, they're not given a framework. There is some framework around. Emotional intelligence is now in the vocabulary. We now talk about vulnerability. And this is really vulnerable, scary stuff. 
Leaders may not feel competent or confident to lead and manage even themselves, let alone others. So this is very much part of our motivation to help leaders get better at this. So we will take a look at all of this as we head through this podcast. We'll introduce you to some of the key concepts, some of the principles that we have worked on, and also some of the people and ideas that have influenced us in putting this work together. And importantly, to support you working through an ending, we'll reveal our four pillars to help you work towards a better ending. And they are reality, emotions, accomplishments and ritual. And the eagle-eared amongst you will have noticed that reality, emotions, accomplishments and ritual is an acronym for REAR, which is something, we have to be honest, we totally hadn't spotted, Ali, had we, until our wonderful producers of this podcast noticed it. Well, how perfect. So through the podcast, we'll be looking at each of these pillars in more detail. And we look forward to sharing some practical ways that you can use them. The final part of something. That is the Oxford English Dictionary definition of ending. So what did start all this interest in endings for us? My memory of the first conversation we had about how about endings and when we got interested in endings was when we were talking about how coaching relationships end and paying as much attention to doing that as well as we take care of the beginning of those conversations. And my goodness, it spiralled from there. What's your what's your first memory of our conversations about endings? Yeah, for me, in terms of where our interest in ending started was you talking about how you ended with clients and me realising that it wasn't my preferred part of the process (laughs) Um, and realising how much I was all about beginnings and the energy of beginnings. And I've always said I'm a beginnings sort of gal um, and going towards things. I'd be somebody who would be at the end of a group and um, run out to have to get an early train rather than doing the long goodbyes. So I started looking at my relationship with endings and you use the word spiral. I think we've been talking about it for two and a half, three years now. Yeah. And um, alongside that, Um, there's been a huge um, personal journey for me in terms of my relationship with endings and losses and um, I'm not going to (laughs) cry and this period's been um, yeah I've lost my mum-in-law and I've lost my father-in-law Eric and I lost my dad and so we've done this work about helping organisations and leaders with endings alongside a huge personal journey um, and it really has been a privilege to be in conversation with you about it Lizzie um, and I'm so proud that we've actually started to get the work to others so they can share with our with our learning. I don't think either of us could have imagined where the work would take us professionally or personally. Certainly when we started it we didn't imagine what would happen in our own lives personally and the fact that we were doing this work, it gave us permission with each other to just say it all, really mean it when we said, how are you doing? (laughs) It's not that that makes it okay or better. This isn't about kind of suddenly making everything neat and tidy and easy. But we did realise how much more resilient it made us, I think. And we saw that in clients as well. Probably unconsciously, it's not that I don't think people are consciously necessarily sweeping this stuff under the carpet to coin a phrase, but it's in encouraging them to truly turn towards it. They realise just what energy that brings and how much more respectful it is to themselves and to others. Because this is about the fact that how many times have we said, oh my gosh, I wish we we recorded this conversation because we really believe it could help people. And because it's not all doom and gloom, it's positive, energetic powerful stuff it's it's actually it's interesting you say that because it's actually quite the opposite Mm. but by helping and we've done this work now with so many clients by helping them attend to endings and it might be endings that they're in right now and there's a huge amount of endings going on an avalanche of endings at the moment and we've also used it with clients actually it's a neglected ending it might be an ending that they haven't actually fully acknowledged and and completed Mm. and I think every time we've done this work in some shape or form, when they've really acknowledged the emotions and what's entangled in that ending, what happened for them, 
that it's released the energy and they've actually been able to really go forward into what is available now into saying you know what we call saying hello to today um so it's hugely energetic and, and bright and I think that's how I've been able to balance when a client comes along and says I'm transitioning into a new role can we start looking for example at my first hundred days I nearly always say and what is it that that we're leaving behind what is it that we need to take care of Mm-hmm. Um, that you're moving away from to be able to do that really well and sometimes that makes people impatient and that was me previously with beginning no, 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 I want, I want to get on with the beginning yeah. <laughs> but it's just like this gentle orientation towards the ending that actually then makes them fully present and fully available to their next leadership challenge and I wonder as you say that I, I think maybe what we could do here is talk a little bit about what we mean by an ending because we've already touched on the fact that personally there were, well, the very, the most final of endings that we were both encountering over, over that time. And when we talk about professionally, we're talking about a range of things. So you've already mentioned transitioning into a new role. And recently there's some work that I've noticed how important that is, particularly internally, because when we transition into a role internally, we do less of the kind of farewell and and without doing all of that stuff, I think it is, it's more challenging then to truly transition yourself and the people around you into, you know, this is who I am and what I do here now because you haven't really truly said farewell to what you were doing in the way that you would if you were going to a different organisation. Um, but what else do we mean? What else are we talking about? In that? I mean, we've got we've got quite a long list, haven't we? Of- we have, we have, <laughs> and it's um, it's from the um, what might almost feel mundane a project closing down, a failed project or a successful project, to the the death of a, a colleague um, and everything in between. So there's the whole um, joining and leaving. So it could be that we're leaving, somebody's leaving um, through their choice because, like you said, an internal promotion or moving teams. It could be they're leaving because they've been made redundant. They've been on furlough, which is then tipped into redundancy. It could be that they're retiring on time or actually early. So there's the whole sort of human leaving and, um, and joining um, piece. So we've, we've looked at um, mergers, acquisitions... Yes. and what that means for teams and the teams that they say goodbye to in order to sort of say hello to a new combined team, which sometimes happens well and often doesn't. No, and, um, often, and often the loyalty stays with the old, the old tribe and the old team. Because I think when we started this work, we, we, we had a question about whether or not we should be more specific and say, you know, we, we've got mm-hmm. ways of helping people leave and join. And then we realised that, endings happen all the time they are overlapping they are interlocked and we came up with that lovely phrase which is one person's goodbye another person's hello that's so true so by by one person being made redundant somebody else gets the, the next big job and actually one of the reasons we were so interested in this work is because it's not only for the person who is is leaving um mm-hmm. That it's so important. It's also for those that remain, those that stay behind, and also the person that then comes and occupies the job. It's like a cleaning of the air, a disentangling of the emotion, um, and and everything that goes around it to actually mean that that person then has a real possibility um, of doing well in it. Um, we've both studied with John Whittington in systemic constellations. His work's based on, but Hellinger's family constellations work, and John talks about the ejector seat syndrome Mm -hmm. so when in an organization you have a role in an organization who keeps on having a new person that somehow somebody can't occupy that space often that's because the ending of a previous person way down back in the history hasn't actually been completed and acknowledged and done well and that's what some one of the examples of neglected endings that sometimes we come back and help systems with and I, and there's something there as well about that there's I mean there are many assumptions around this work I think and one of the assumptions that someone might carry is well this happened years and years ago how can it possibly be relevant now and often it is often that unclear or unattended to ending means that there's a there's a shadow cast by that not only into the role but into the 
organisation. And it's easy to think, well, I, I can't possibly address that now with that person. But that's, again, what, what's so interesting about this work is that we can work with individuals within organisations completely privately, completely confidentially, very quietly with themselves or with, and with us, facilitating them to do that work that was never done. And it still makes a difference, even though none of those people may ever know, it, it still makes a difference because that person is then seeing their organisation and the possibilities within it differently. And that's what I think this is all about. It's, it, it's all about how do I really, truly turn to the possibilities and how do I really, truly take responsibility for anything that either I played a part in or that I recognise happened here and that it's my responsibility to therefore attend to because I'm in that role now. It's fascinating stuff. You say goodbye and I say hello. I don't know why you say goodbye, I say hello. Lennon and McCartney from the Beatles Magical Mystery Tour. We should probably say to anybody listening to this, well done for getting this far, because it doesn't, even to the beginning of this podcast, because it's not probably the most appealing topic to go towards. And we were really conscious of that, weren't we? We had that phrase, didn't we, of... Um... Yeah, well, well done for well getting done. this far. You're here. <laughs> and um, one of the reasons why, rather than doom and gloom, is that an ending is a process at the end of which is a goodbye. And that is a really final thing. And if you're saying goodbye to a team you've loved or a job you've loved um, or a person you've loved or, or if it's, you've got mixed emotions about it, that there is pain attached to that. And one of the pieces of work that I did was that why endings are so difficult is because pain and love are two sides of the same coin and so the more that you've belonged and and loved something had a sense of identity or achievement or purpose in it and it's come to an end then there is going to be pain attached to that and as human beings we try to avoid pain and I think what we found through our work is that rather than you know staring straight into that pain this is about acknowledgement this is about saying I belonged there I loved that job I really got a huge sense of purpose from being in that team and this has now come to an end. And to acknowledge that actually frees you up to then think, okay, so what's the opportunity that I'm going towards? But if we ignore that and contain it and put it away, then that will still be festering inside and you you are not as available as you could be to the next opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so much in there as well. that it's, It's like you say, it's about what you're then able to do as an individual as a team as an organization it's about what you're able to do in terms of how you approach what's next but also I love what you said there about the the, you know the pain and the love and for me I think as well it's about you know the joy of paying more attention it's the love that you go back to first and it's not about not feeling like you said we're all about the feeling we're all about being comfortable with whatever the emotion is when you've gone towards this stuff you're more connected to the love that remains than the pain. And from a work perspective, how hard I've seen it be for some people who are really bound up in the pain of the way that a role ended or the way that they left something to even be able to say out loud, let alone be really truly connected to what they did achieve while they were there, the great times they had, the relationships they built. And that's why I love this work, because I see people being able to be reconnected to the joy of what happened while well, that might have ended painfully, but there was a whole heap of great stuff before that happened and reconnecting people to that so that that's again something that walks alongside them as well as the pain. When people need to leave and it's not their choice, so a redundancy mm. or a closure, and I've been through two redundancies, both painful for different reasons. Um, and I think that if people don't sort of do the work, separate it out and look at the accomplishments and what came before from the actual circumstance of the ending, say they, you know, you feel there's injustice around it, then, then, you, then people can get caught up in that like it's a full-colour TV show, like a full-colour mm-hmm. film with all the drama attached to it and telling the story over and over again and it gets more and more cemented versus doing the work to actually separate out all that came before and what else may be true 
and all the different emotions that are attached to it and as you say the accomplishments and acknowledging the reality um, that that job is no longer here and thinking about a way of closing and using a ritual to move forward um, allows that full colour film to sort of be faded to a black and white and eventually like oh actually I'm bored about talking about the injustice of me leaving actually now I can think about my time there in a completely different way and again then be more available to to now and when we realized how useful people were finding this and we wanted to make it very available to the people that we work with well then it got really interesting because we kind of both turned to our bookshelves our you know feeding our book habit and thumbed through the indexes and there was hardly anything and we have between us I dread to think how many books on leadership facilitation and coaching you know quite a lot and I think we found two that had a specific reference to closing and ending in in the contents and there and there and there's there's so William Bridges work on transitions is is a work that has been incredibly influential in our work you've mentioned John Whittington and there are others and yet really so little which is again one of the reasons we thought okay we can potentially share something with our clients here that there there isn't easy access to this is probably probably a moment to say why why we've come to this point because we were merrily tripping along doing this work with our clients and seeing great benefit and not necessarily thinking we would do what we've done which is write articles and record this conversation for example and well there's something about the current context we find ourselves in so if you're listening to this in 2045 we should probably let you know that it's 2020 (laughs) and in 2020 loss and endings of many 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 kinds became high on the agenda for many people i'm just thinking about you saying it's 2045 lizzie and i'm thinking people will say what's a podcast (laughs) (laughs) so we started this work before the pandemic and we were using it with our clients with teams and with organizations and with individuals and we had drafts of the article and we had a real sort of moment of if not now then when Mm. and somebody said to me um that in the financial crash somebody said where are all the coaches in 2008 um and we had a conversation which was we think we've got something useful we're practitioners, so this is based on the practice of work we do with our clients we've then brought together. We're not theorists. And we had that conversation, which is, you know, if not now, then when? That was me that said that to you. Where are all the coaches? Was it? <laughs> this really clever lady that I once met, I cannot remember her name, said to me, where are all the coaches? Gosh, Lizzie. I can't take full credit. It wasn't completely me. It was, um, so that was from Challenging Coaching by Blakey and Day. And, and and I think that's very much what we are about, which is coaching being about the support and the challenge. Yeah. And too much support and not enough challenge, and you're not necessarily really truly addressing the things that you need to address. Too much challenge and not enough support is stressful. And there's something about balancing those two things that means that you can go towards in that safe confidential space that you have with a coach, you can go towards some of the things that haven't been spoken about, haven't been properly named and are getting in the way. I think that's very true. And at the moment, there are so many endings. If we think about, um, for those people listening to this podcast in 2045, what it was like to live through the pandemic, um, or this might be the first pandemic of many that... There's another cheery thought. (laughs) (laughs) But seriously, we, you know, we were seeing this avalanche of endings and, you know, we've both got children and, you know, A-levels being cancelled and school being cancelled and all the normal endings and rituals and rites of passage that transition people through because this work is so relevant to transition. And then people being furloughed and furlough going into redundancy at the moment, an avalanche of clients losing their jobs, having to reapply mm-hmm. for their jobs, businesses closing, really viable wonderful businesses that we've worked in you know really suffering um there are so many endings and a lot of the normal way that 
if organisations are good at endings, they are not able to do because they are not holding a leaving do or, um, or or something in person. That everything is virtual, and and that's a really different dynamic. And I think that's one reason why, in putting the article out, we've had the impact that we've had because it has resonated so much with people. And then they've come back and said, "This is really useful." give us something practical, which is where the four pillars come in. Yes, and that's one of the things that is really important to us, is not just to say, hey, here's this stuff, but to really give people a way in and a way to approach it so that we are not just saying that this would help <laughs> and then walking away. A reminder of our four pillars to help with better endings are reality, emotions, accomplishment and ritual. Reality. This is about starting by fully articulating the situation, the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, including all the tricky and messy stuff that we might not want to look at but needs to be surfaced. The second pillar, emotions. This is about ensuring that having got a full picture of the situation by naming the reality, you are also getting the full picture of how people feel about it, including you. The third pillar is accomplishments. These are the many ways in which organisations in wanting or having to move on quickly can miss or gloss over the important work of acknowledging what has been accomplished and by whom. There is always something and it's prime territory for people or teams to get stuck in old feelings without maybe even knowing why if their accomplishments have not been noticed and noted. And having done the work of reality, emotions and accomplishments, we can turn our attention to the fourth pillar, ritual where there are a myriad of ways we can use everything we've learned from those first three pillars to say a proper goodbye to something in the form of a ritual of some kind, and in doing so, be able to turn our energy and attention more fully to the future. Um, before we look deeper into the pillars, this is a moment to mention that when we work with individuals and organisations, we do so in a structured, supported and safe way. Occasionally, even hearing about this work can surface some strong feelings. And if you hear something today that does that, we strongly encourage you to seek support. There are a number of organisations listed on the site, endingsforbeginnings.co.uk, that can offer support. And if you need immediate support, please do speak to someone, or in the UK, head to Mind or the Samaritans. Even the most gifted people and leaders are subject to feeling conflicted about ending things, so they resist words of author Henry Cloud. The first pillar, if we're going to take a little bit of a deeper dive into each pillar, the first one is reality. The obvious thing to do is say this is the ending, to name it, and it's rarely as simple as that. And things are complicated by processes. There might be a legal process going on behind the way that somebody is leaving. Um, there might be some messy dynamics between the teams that are merging or the organisation that's taking over another. So there's something when you're naming the reality about not only the headlines, but what does that mean for your clients? What does it mean for your stakeholders? Um, what does it mean for this team and this individual? Really getting into the detail including some of the messy, uncomfortable stuff, if indeed that exists, in order to truly get to know this ending, rather than, I want to say, slide through it. I don't mean that. What do I mean, Ellie? It's interesting, because I'm looking at your newly painted study and thinking, gloss over. Yes. Gloss yeah. over, move, move, move forward too quickly. Yeah. Rather than taking the time to really name all the elements of what is coming to an end and the reality of what that means from the high level to the mundane. Which is really tempting, especially when there might be something in there that we're not particularly proud of, either that we are doing or saying or that someone else has or that we're aware of. It might be that acknowledging some of that tricky and messy stuff holds a fear that will open up a whole heap of other conversations that has their own tricky and messy stuff within it. So this this really is about not shying away, as you say, not shying away, not glossing over, doing the work and all that it entails, 
of saying, here's how it is for us right now. And I think you just touched on something really important we haven't said so far, which is we start with ourselves. So in working through the pillars, when we do them with our clients, we encourage people to do the work themselves in terms of what the ending means for them, whether or not the ending is being done to them or they're a leader making a whole department or or part of the business um, redundant, for example. Because you use the example of there may be a, a legal process, there may be compromise agreements that are in place. That doesn't mean that in doing your own work about what is going on that you can't name the reality, including the messy stuff. Um, just because it can't be spoken about in certain ways with certain people doesn't mean that you can't really acknowledge what might be going on. For example, and it starts to, to, to merge into the next pillar of emotions, that in that messy stuff is you may have made somebody redundant, which is we make a position redundant, not a person, but actually you're relieved yeah. because you didn't find them that easy to work with. Mm-hmm that is incredibly freeing to to actually do that bit of reality and naming yourself to then think about okay now that I've separated that out what might that person need I think we could have called this pillar slow down oh nice because it is it it is about either because of the pace and certainly that's a huge pressure that people are often under the pressure of what needs to be done by when and how much people want to be turning towards the new beginning and what's coming next. Or indeed that they might be, as we've acknowledged, glossing over some uncomfortable things. But this is the moment where you choose to slow down and pay some attention to this ending in its full glory. Perhaps the only agony that surpasses grief is that of staying stuck in a numb doubt enraged, soul-destroying inability to release what we've lost. Sorrow passes through the gateway of acceptance of, yes, this is really happening, however deeply I wish it wasn't. A quote from the TEDx Royal Tunbridge Wells talk by Sophie Savage, titled How Grief Can Help Us Win When We Lose. Pillar two is emotions and really is so often been the heart of the work when I've done this with individual leaders either about their own emotions um, or in preparation of having conversations with other people who are going to be um, experiencing an ending there's something about when we get in touch I don't know what you think about this but when we really get in touch with what with what we'd call the primary emotions so often I'm fascinated by people when people say I'm frustrated Mm. Um, and I I often talk about frustrated being sort of a, a boilerplate and actually then I have a conversation about what's really be- below that frustration. Uh, and the, the real primary emotion below frustration is anger. So, you know, is it anger? Is it, is it sadness? Is there some joy in it? And there's so many different hues of ways that we can explain our emotions. And as human beings, human beings are really complex. So we can, ha- we can be experiencing many emotions at the same time. So say I was a leader making somebody redundant. And back to the previous example, you know, I am slightly relieved because they weren't performing particularly well. I might actually feel guilt um, because I haven't actually fully helped them perform and I've used the opportunity to make somebody redundant. So I might be feeling guilty. I might be feeling sad. And I might be feeling slightly relieved. So often um, when, when we do this work live with clients, we, we may come up with emotion fields. So I, I once did the exercise where I had all these different emotions on different pieces of paper and, and got people to walk around and, and pick up the emotions that were speaking to them about the ending they were looking at. And it's extraordinary the combination of emotions that people can have going on. And actually to, to name it um, and acknowledge it and, and then really know actually what is the... What is the entanglement in the ending? Because it could be, you know, disappointment and unfulfilled possibilities. I think there's something, as you've said already, we start with ourselves, we start with the individual. And there's something so enlightening, I think, about doing this emotional work where when we also look at others and we notice that, for example, we might be wanting or hoping or even trying to manipulate in some way everyone to feel the same way we do, because that feels safer and easier and nicer and we're not necessarily making space or allowing for the a range of emotions that different people might be feeling 
And there are dangers in that because then stuff gets unsaid and unacknowledged. And I think there is that whole thing as well about remembering, you know, we don't feel one thing at a time. You and I are big fans of the word and <laughs> because it, it allows us to say that, you know, that two, three, four, five very different feelings could be happening at the same time within me and across a range of people. And that difference doesn't make any one of them invalid. I think that's so true. I'm, <clears throat> I'm sitting with the phrase of thinking about a, a, a leader that I worked with who ended up saying, I'm sad that this hasn't worked out and I'm grateful to how they have responded and how they've made it easy for me to make them redundant. And that was in the session with me and then how they want to then use, having acknowledged their own feelings, in conversation because it's not about then projecting those feelings necessarily onto the person that mm -hmm. maybe having the ending but by doing your own work first you're much more centered and grounded to be able to actually then say okay now that I know that I'm sad and I'm grateful because they've made this easier for me than they could have done how do I want to then go and be with them to actually help them work through it and what what's the work that we then need to do together it's about that difference isn't it between accepting something and working with it and fixing or ignoring in order to hope for the best. And it's about a different kind of best. And I think that comes back to the messy bit. You know, somebody might say, why, why, why would I go into any of this? Because this is so messy and it's mm -hmm. emotional and it's painful. The part that I've played is not completely without fault. And actually that is life. That is human, that is human nature. That is organisations, particularly at the moment, when the whole context is of nobody's doing with the pandemic. And actually, it's incredibly useful to look at all of this and then feel much more resourced, actually, to, to then think, OK, what is it that I now need to pay attention to? Because there are many, so many things that leaders need to be paying attention to. It's exhausting. I mean, so many of the people we're working with at the moment are absolutely exhausted. And as you say, the, the beauty of this work is that whilst it can, it takes energy to do it, it absolutely also releases energy and creates energy and... That's something we kind of need at the moment. <laughs> we certainly do. Systems don't tolerate moving on, forgetting or otherwise excluding. Yet organisations around the world still give people more money to leave than they did to join, believing that this will help them leave the organisational memory. It has exactly the opposite effect. A quote from John Whittington's Systemic Coaching and Constellations. So pillar three, can we have favourite pillars? I'm not sure we should have favourite pillars, should we? I know, this is your favourite pillars. Lizzie, this is when you go, get on with it. <laughs> we did, this might be mine. Do I mean favourite? I, I guess what I mean is I have so much personal and professional experience for me and others of just how important this pillar of accomplishments is and... I guess the impact it has when it is not acknowledged. Paying attention to accomplishment is essentially, for me, it's essentially a thank you. It's saying no matter what this ending is, no matter what the messy stuff is, but this is about saying there is always a way of saying to a person or a group, I have seen you, I have heard you, I appreciate these things that you brought so that that person or those people have the opportunity to move towards their next beginning with that sense of accomplishment, of pride, of being seen, of being heard. That's fundamental. It's so important. When you don't do this, it leaves a scar. For individuals and organisationally, it leaves a mark that, well, it takes us right back to the emotions. You know, people feel things around accomplishment and that accomplishment being acknowledged. I guess what we're saying here is when you've, when you've paid attention to the tricky and messy stuff and you've paid attention to the emotions, this is about finding a way to acknowledge the accomplishment. And you might not even always be able to do it directly. It might be that you write a letter very quietly that nobody ever sees. It might be that you're having to do the hard work of acknowledge your own, acknowledging your own accomplishments because they weren't acknowledged by the organisation. And in order to move on, you're doing that work yourself. 
And my goodness, it's work that is worth doing because it's the solid ground from which you can really truly turn to what comes next. The quest is for people to be really thoughtful about what they say in that being heard and being seen. It's about years of service. It's about what people have delivered. It's about how they have been in the organisation. It's about how they've been experienced through all the different ups and downs. It's not just a gold watch in the olden days of everybody gets a gold watch at 25 years service. And it's not about platitudes. I remember once working with somebody who was who felt that her gratitude was unheard. And we looked at the difference between saying what you're thanking them for before you actually thank them. The difference between saying thank you for blah, 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 which this person quite rightly realised that was, was not really truly being heard. So you do the seen and heard bit first and you say what it is that you've seen and heard and what you are grateful for and what you're acknowledging and what the accomplishment was. And then comes and, and I'm grateful for that and thank you for that. And it transformed the way that people were able to hear what was being acknowledged because it there was there was just that much more truth and connection to what they were saying from the leader rather than thank you because that's what you do. That's a lovely connection. And I think the other thing for us when we see this done well is it's compassionate and it restores dignity, whatever the ending has been, that it restores dignity to the person on the receiving end. I like to challenge people on this. What have you got to lose? What truly do you lose by giving someone else the gift of keeping their dignity about their contribution? And that's why you've got to work through the messy stuff before. Because if you're still entangled in your own messy stuff, you'll find it very difficult to say, and Lizzie, I thank you for, if I'm not fully worked through my messy stuff and my emotions about how this has come about. And in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. Lennon and McCartney from the Beatles Abbey Road. So our fourth and our final pillar is ritual and and here the order really does matter but this as Lizzie said before is is the wrapping up is the marking the point of the ending before we can then turn towards the the new beginning and throughout time most major um, cultures and religions have created and adopted rituals which are about endings um, and I, and I believe one of the reasons why they've done that is because endings can be incredibly painful. So to have a prescribed order, a way that we wrap something up and do it that may be beyond words or maybe include words, but often involve things like music um, and, and poetry um, and all sorts of different things, um, is really useful when you are in the pain of an ending. And that makes it sound very serious. And that's based on, you know, saying goodbye to a loved one. But actually, rituals are an incredibly helpful way of doing that that marking. And in doing this work, Lizzie and I often talk to people about lots of different ways we could we could do it. I often encourage a, a client to write a letter to an old boss that may not even be aware of the fact they're now leaving the business because they left the business before. We often go back to, to schools, don't we, Lizzie? We've both got kids and, and, and Lizzie was a leader in, in education and... School, schools do this really well. They are very adept at getting children to move through the transition of, for example, leaving primary school and coming to secondary school um, or transitioning through to the later years of school through leaving ceremonies, through yearbooks, through proms, so that by the time the child then arrives in the next year, they actually really fully feel like they're that, that bigger person. Um, and part of the pandemic is that all of those ending rituals have not been possible. The children are given two days' notice. My youngest mm. daughter's doing A-levels, given two days' notice to leave college, which had been a really formative experience, um, and, and and close that whole part of her um, of her chapter of education down. I'm thinking again that it's it's about really where the ritual is the most effective in doing what it's supposed to do, which is facilitate a process of processing the emotion, holding on to what it is of that person or that event or whatever it is, holding on to something and also being ready 
to take them with you to in in some form towards what's new. And this is where a ritual can do as much damage as it could do good if it is. And we joke about the you know the old adage of the standard carriage clock. Well, if the carriage clock means a great deal to you and and that represents some real significance to you, great. If it doesn't, that can be undermining of an entire career. So there's something about looking at within the ways that you have these rituals. You take your example about the schools, you know, a school prom, it might it's it's the school prom every year and every year it's tailored to the individuals that are forming part of that year group. So there's something about the importance of bringing in those other pillars around emotion, accomplishments, being seen, being heard, and making sure that ritual is meaningful. And there's a lovely ritual you reminded me when you're talking about what you were leaving behind, what you're taking with you. There's a lovely ritual that I do when I when I do this work with people um where we've where we've worked through the the emotions and the messy stuff and the accomplishments where we we write down on pieces of paper some of the different elements and i invite them to literally place down those bits that they're leaving behind and then take with them the bits that they're going to take and then it's, it's a shame this hasn't got visuals because i'm doing i'm doing not to wave my hands about and then orientate themselves towards saying hello to today and that bit that they're going to take with them um and I and I once did this piece of work with somebody and she felt really strongly that um the bit she wanted to leave behind she didn't want it to be left in the room where we did the work mm. and putting it in the bin wasn't enough and I took the post-it note home and um I burnt it on my fire and I and I filmed it and then I and then I sent it to her and that was the ritual and often um, rituals are about those sort of those basic elements of water and fire and earth. Yeah, um, yeah. It was the most extraordinary, spontaneous piece of work, and it was really important to her that the that the bit that she's leaving behind was not left in this very sterile meeting room um, that we'd done this endings piece of work in. You know, sometimes as well, we talked quite a lot about gifts and leaving gifts as part of a ritual, and it may be again, it may be that that is very important to you. And so often, though, I think that, you know, the, the, the gift that people really take away is in the meaning rather than how much the whip round <laughs> collected, you know. Um, what was your favourite ever leaving gift, Ali? Oh, well, it's so pertinent to what you just said, Lizzie. Um, so when I was made redundant the second time, I, I got given lots of beautiful gifts and, and somebody gave me Excel for dummies, which anybody that knows me in technology, and it was a, a member of my team that I would ask probably on a daily basis how does this work and he knew that I had to be self-sufficient in Excel because I was going off to become a self-employed coach 15 years ago and um and he gave me Excel for dummies and it was incredibly touching because the meaning as you say is he behind and still useful to you I'm guessing yeah <laughs> no I'm still a dummy <laughs> and you mine would be there are two can I'm allowed to do two they're both they're both in teaching and one, one came from a student when they left and it was a gift that was clearly pre-used, pre-loved, <laughs> something of theirs. And I remember just being so extraordinarily touched that if that's what they had to give, they chose to give it to me. And the other one, before I cry, which will probably make me cry as well, when my year group left, so I, I'm, my year group I had from year seven through to year 11, I probably did get a gift I probably got flowers and things like that but the thing that I treasure is that my colleagues put together a book of photographs and comments from my year group writing everything from what they really felt which is fair enough to to, to well just all sorts of all sorts of just lovely wonderful things that reminded me not only of those times but of all of their personalities of you know I I treasure that immensely still many years on (laughs) everything has to come to an end sometime l frank baum the marvelous land of oz so as we move towards the end of this podcast 
We hope it has provided some useful starting points for you, particularly in the form of those pillars of reality, emotions, accomplishments and ritual. I'm, here, I'm feeling really emotional listening to you say that, Lizzie, because the word that came up for me was courage. I hope it'll give people courage to think about the endings that they are facing or have faced, ones that have maybe not been so neatly wrapped up and completed, and to have a look at their own endings and as leaders to think about responsibility to their organisations of helping teams and individuals to end well in order to have a better beginning. I guess as well, I'd, I'd like people to realise that this isn't doom and gloom work. It's like you say, this is courageous work, but it doesn't have to, and it might involve some sadness and it might involve going towards both positive and negative emotions, all of which are welcome. It's work that's worth doing. The word courageous comes from core, the, the French word for heart, and so it is heart and soul work to look at endings on a human level uh, in terms of the people that are in an organisation. And you said right at the beginning, Lizzie, when we started this work, that endings done badly leaves a scar. Mm -hmm. And endings done well is and can be really joyous because of all of that acknowledgement and looking at accomplishments and naming the emotions and giving people dignity. It can be, it can be really significant work and it takes courage and it takes a bit of skill and our hope in offering these pillars and our influences is that we can be a little bit helpful. I hope we've started a conversation. We'd love to hear from you if you'd like to find out more about our work. You can get in touch with us and get access to more links and further resources by heading to endingsforbeginnings.co.uk. When we do this work with individuals and organisations, as Al said earlier, we do that in a structured and supported and safe way. And occasionally, even hearing about this work can surface some strong feelings. It certainly does for us at times. And we strongly encourage you, if you even think you need it, seek support if that's the case for you. If you go to the website, there are some numbers and organisations on the site that can offer that support. And if you need immediate support, please do speak to somebody. Or in the UK, you can head to mind.org.uk or samaritans.org. This has been the Endings for Beginnings podcast. The podcast to help leaders begin planning for a better ending. I'm Lizzie Bentley-Bowers. And I'm Alison Lucas. And this is the end of our podcast. And we hope it's just the beginning for you. <laughs>